Hello and happy St. Patrick's Day and happy Friday. We are continuing with our readings for the week. We start out today in Proverbs 7, 6 through 20. So this is the beginning of a story of a young man who's about to be seduced. At least that's the impression you're getting when you're reading this. The psalmist calls him one who lacked common sense not necessarily because of what he looks like that he's going to be doing, but because he placed himself in a situation. He's strolling near the house of an immoral woman. We're taught to remove ourselves from situations that may tempt us because we are weak, and that is how the enemy influences us. Today's New Testament reading is Luke 2, 1 through 20, begins with the census decree throughout the Roman Empire as decreed by the Emperor Augustus. Most likely, the purpose is for control. Either obtain it, solidify it, maintain it. The first step in controlling the people is knowing as much about the people as possible. It's my opinion. All are required to return to their ancestral towns to register, which I found a bit odd. Why would they have to return to their ancestral towns? But this does set up for an interesting and important fact to be laid out. Luke notes that because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Now, Luke could have just said that Joseph returned to Bethlehem, but he added the information about King David to establish a lineage through marriage, to Jesus. I don't think we know Mary's lineage. Could be wrong. At this time, Mary had returned from Elizabeth's, and it was known at least to Joseph that she was pregnant, and I would imagine. While they were in Bethlehem, it was time for the birth. So if you think about the timeline, depending on how long the travel was to Bethlehem, um, most likely Mary was showing in Nazareth before they left. She gave birth to her firstborn son. That implies that she had other sons. And we know that at least through one off the top of my head, James, as in book of, not as in apostle, not as in disciple. They were staying in a manger because there was no lodging available to them. Presumably this is because many had traveled for the census. This, of course, is represented annually with the nativity scenes that you see popping up all over the place. The shepherds are staying in the fields nearby, guarding their sheep. And I'm guessing that they're also here for the census because it specifically says that they are staying in the fields. They were visited by an angel of the Lord. They are told that the Messiah is born and they will find him wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Then the angel was joined by, quote, a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. I wonder how many that that was, the armies of heaven. That might have been, must have been quite a sight. Just visualize it for a moment. And I wonder what the sheep thought about all this as well how they acted. Apparently, after the heavenly choir finished, they all, quote, returned to heaven. No word of, they fly off, did they just disappear, or did they walk away? But anyway, the shepherds, and no numbers given there either, decided that they should go and see this thing that has happened. I think I'd do the same. 
But when they hurried to the village, did they abandon their flocks of sheep? Did the news strike them as being so great that they didn't care about their sheep? Because Luke said they, no number, hurried, no speed, to the village and found Mary and Joseph. I doubt that they could have taken their flocks of sheep to the village. But I don't know. Then the shepherds told, quote, everyone what they had seen, and, quote, everyone was astonished. And this implies that others besides Mary and Joseph were there. I mean, think about that for a second. The narrative would be the shepherds told them what they had seen, as opposed to everyone. Now, I don't know how this relates with the original translation, but that's the way I interpret it in New Living Translation. Now, there's an interesting ad here, too, quote, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often, end quote. What does that mean, that she kept in her heart all that had happened before and thought about them often, or that she thought about what the shepherds had reported, or both? And what did she do with her thoughts and why? Usually when we think about something, often there is a reason. But we're, we're just told that one line at this point. Old Testament numbers. We're continuing in Numbers 5, 11 through 31. More instructions. If a wife goes astray and has sex with another man and no one knows, she still has defiled herself. If her husband suspects, he must bring his wife to the priest, who will then present her to stand trial before the Lord. And basically, what's happening here is the priest will... Uh, have the woman drink, quote, bitter water. No clue on what the bitter water actually is, which will cause her, quote, bitter suffering. If she is guilty, her abdomen will swell and her womb will shrink. But if she is pure, she will still be able to have children. The bitter water won't affect her. I guess we're to believe that this is God's judgment working through the priest and the, quote, bitter water. But I'm struck with how this could be misinterpreted. Then I'm struck with this. If this is God's judgment working through the priest in the water, then my faith is faltering. I mean, I always want to have a reason as to how something is brought about. So what is it in the bitter water that is bringing about this suffering? And how is it that the someone who has cheated is physically different than someone who hasn't? Because this is obviously someone who's in a marriage who presumably will have already had and continues to have sexual relations anyway. So how can it distinguish between one or the other without God's input? And then I realize, well, I'm not taking this on, on faith and maybe that's on me, but I do struggle with that. Now we go to number six. There's more instructions. Those who take the Nazarite vow setting themselves apart from the Lord in a special way, and, and I'm not clear what the whole Nazarite vow is all about, well, they must give up alcohol, presumably because alcohol could be a gateway to further temptation, and these are to be special folks. Maybe it's like a, a vow to help purify yourself. I'm not sure. They couldn't even eat grapes. No cutting of hair during this time of the vow, which implies that the vow, of course, is temporary during this time of the vow, and we find out in a little bit later, of course, it is because the next week we see at the conclusion they give offerings, their heads are shaved, and the hair is burned. After this, they can again drink wine, 
And this chapter ends with a blessing from the Lord and also ends our readings from the day. I hope you have a wonderful day. Live today as if the king is coming back today. Thank you.